Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. Uh, today we have a guest coming back on the show for a second time, Coach Kurt Hines from Coronado High School in California, just outside San Diego. Uh, if you listened to the first time around, you knew that Coach Hines uh, really tries to bless and empower people uh, through his coaching um, and his vision for what uh, they should view as success in their lives. Uh, but today's episode is going to drive uh, perspective uh, around performance. And so we we are really excited to hear how he has responded to this COVID-19 quarantine, what he's done to empower and bless those in his circles in terms of his program, his staff, his family, uh, the lessons coming out of this whole thing. Um, and so you're going to want to tune in to find out how you can be better coming out of this and decide what's important in your life as you move forward as a leader. Uh, because we all know that adversity uh, doesn't build character, it reveals it. And so you're going to be better after today. Here we go. All right, welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with Dwayne Mathis. We are coming to you live from the LPG Studios, newly renovated. Uh, we have a, a guest as a repeat, second repeat guest we've had in our podcast career so far, Coach Kurt Hines, coming to you live from California. This is the beauty of technology. Uh, first, Coach Mathis, how you doing, brother? Doing great. Uh, you got a roast in the crock pot. It's it's wafting through the air here, so I can't wait to dig into that for supper. And uh, but uh, before we dig into that, I just can't wait to to get going here with Coach Hines and yourself and uh, talk about uh, you know perspective driving performance. Yeah, we're excited to dive into that. Last time we had Coach Hines on, we talked about the power of why and how how he finds that, how he drives that into his program, his players, his staff. Um, and we're going to talk about how perspective really drives performance. This pandemic has caused uh, a lot of different issues globally. Um, and as coaches, we, we see it a little bit differently. And, and so with that, let's bring in our guest, uh, Coach Hines. Uh, how, how are you today, man? I'm blessed. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys. I appreciate you guys uh, taking your time to have me on. So uh, ex excited to share and excited to learn from you guys. Well, I don't know that we're going to be giving you a lot of the information, uh, but before we jumped on here, Coach, we you know we we really um, appreciate you taking time again uh, to bless people with your knowledge. And you talked about your two big words were to bless and empower, and and I think that's what we're really trying to do with this podcast is to bless and empower coaches to be better versions of themselves. Um, and, and you are a very passionate coach. You're passionate in everything that you do. And so can you talk about uh, that word and relating to how your perspective uh, has, has shifted during this COVID-19? Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the thought there. Yeah. I, I do feel I'm passionate about many things in life, and I think that's what drives me to uh, to be the husband I aspire to be, the father, the grandfather, the coach, the teacher. Um, for, for me, I don't think this pandemic – it's funny. I, I was thinking uh, earlier this week, I, I don't think money changes people. I don't think challenges change people. I, I think they reveal who we really are. Mm -hmm. you know. And, and I think this pandemic is doing the same thing. Um, and I'd be lying to you if I said that I've been strong through this entire thing. I was strong for the first two weeks. And then when I knew it was going to continue for a while, I, I started really internalizing uh, not, not some deep, dark, negative thoughts, but some 
some real questions about, you know, I've, I've preached for years with our players that playing football is part of who they are, but that's not who they are. They're more than just student athletes and I'm more than just a coach. But when that real question as to whether or not we're going to have a season really started to hit home, I thought, all right, I, I know I'm more than a coach, but what is my life going to look like if we don't have a season? What's my life going to look like? I'm still a husband, a father, a grandfather, and that's a huge blessing. But coaching, is it's in my blood. It's part of who I am. So it's been a great eye-opener for me to really dig deep and to really be tested by this trial, be tested by the fire, and say, okay, who, who am I with and without football? You know, if, if I really am the coach that I, I strive to be, how am I still reaching out to my players? Am I still calling them? Am I still, you know, it's easy to say, hey, I love you to a player when you see them in the locker room or in the field or in the weight room. But when I'm not physically with them, am I going out of my way to make those connections? So uh, th- this, and we're still in the middle of it, as you guys know. Uh, this, uh, this time has been a, a real test of uh, character and will and, and passion for all of us, you know, to stay passionate during this time. No, you're absolutely right, Coach. I mean, I think one of the strongest statement that you made there is, you know, just what what adversity really does. It does, you know, it reveals character, you know, and and how people are, and and um, you know, how have you you kind of mentioned a couple things that you're doing, but you know, how are you, you know, reaching your team during this pandemic when you know you're not having that face to face interaction with them? Uh, you know, it's you know, and I don't know if if you're having any guidelines instituted to you by your athletic association there in California. You know, I know each state is different for our, our listeners across the state, but, um, you know, here in Iowa, we've been told that we're not, you know, allowed to, to have any sports specific talk with our athletes or anything like that. You could certainly check in with them, but, uh, you know, so how are you reaching your team? Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, at the very beginning of this, I set out a goal of myself to call every player personally and that sounded good. And I did, I did do that. You know, the easy thing was to send out a mass email. The second easiest thing is to throw something on social media. And I did those things, but I wanted to have that, that personal connection. So at first I reached out to all the players myself and then I, I thought, all right, well, it's not just about me. You know, let, let's incorporate, include and empower my coaches to do the same. So we had a zoom coaches meeting and uh, we had assigned uh, our staff a certain number of players. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my line coaches reaching out to the linemen. It wasn't just certain coaches reaching out to the star players or the stud players. So we divided up our program, uh, making sure that every coach had some varsity, JV, freshman players, everyone in between. And I asked them, I said, reach out to the players. And I said, please make sure your first contact with them is not, don't even bring up football. Don't even bring up the sport at all um, and just ask them how they're doing. And I, and I tried to let them know that 99% of our players are going to say good and leave it at that. And that 99% of them are not doing good um, because some of them, you know, uh, where we are in Coronado, California, it's a very affluent community, but we have North Island on the island, which is the naval base. So we have everything in between from some kids who come from million dollar homes and some kids who their best meal is at school. And some kids who live in that white picket fence and are getting told you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're fantastic every day. And some kids who never hear that, regardless of how much money they have and, and whatever. So I asked the coaches to reach out to the players 
uh, first just on a personal connection, and then on the second or third contact, remind them that hey, when the season does show up, we want to be prepared. We want to you know do your best. Um, but uh, you know, Coach Mathis, you mentioned something offline before we kind of get started here that I loved, and just asking about you know giving credit where credit is due when we talk about different line technique or whatever it is, you know, different skills we teach. And uh, I don't remember, this is not mine, but I, I read something the other day uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't remember the woman that posted, but I remember seeing a female's picture talking about that not every player that comes into camp out of shape was a choice. Some, mm-hmm. some were babysitting all the time or some were whatever the situation is. That, and I will probably share my own thoughts on that at another point. But um, we, we can't assume as coaches that every kid that shows up to camp is showing up in a great mental state. Some of them are going to be in great shape because they have that opportunity. Some are going to show up and, and have more anxiety and fear and stress than ever before. And we have to make sure that we tailor to that. And uh, so someone accused me of a post earlier today, the video I shared, Coach Level, and someone said, oh, Coach, everyone gets the trophy Hines. <laughs> and I laughed at that because I'm like, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is everyone yeah. deserves love and respect. Everyone yeah. deserves, you know, to be treated as a human being. And so, uh, yeah, so we, we made sure that we reached out to our players um, and made that connection. And, and I don't think that should be a one and done, check it off your list, move on to the, whatever's next. That They need to have that constant, uh, even just a reminder of, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. Let me know if you need anything. You know, that that's a great point, Coach. And it, you know, I, I, just real quick, this is why I love having you on because you do force me to look at things from a different perspective sometimes because when you just said what you said there uh, about, you know, not everyone has that choice, uh, you know, just if they come into camp, you know, um, you know, I've said to my own team, you know, like when I send out the workouts, like, hey, this is, you know, a, a strength, the body weight workout you can be doing. Uh, you know, I actually said to them and and what you said has made me rethink that just now. So I appreciate it. And I thank you for that. But uh, I said that, you know, hey, look, if you know, when we when we start workouts, whenever that is, we'll I'll be able to tell who's been doing workout these workouts and who hasn't kind of deal. And let's not you know, don't don't let these opportunities escape you from, you know, you know, not being able to to get better during this. Don't use the pandemic as an excuse kind of deal. And and I think, you know, maybe that's. Uh, you know, maybe that can be that message can be reworded, you know, in a way that, you know, just that doesn't just assume, uh, you know, kids aren't cho- are choosing not to do this workout kind of deal, you know, if they were in that situation kind of deal. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And one quick thing, if I can just backtrack for a second, and obviously I won't say the young man's name, but one of our, our stud players, if you will, um, about a month before any of this pandemic stuff started, before it wasn't even on our, our radar, uh, we had a leadership council meeting and he asked to stay afterwards and just talk. And I asked him, I said, what's up? And, you know, he was nothing. He was kind of humming and hawing. I said, what, what's going on? So we sat down, I closed the door and long story short, we spoke for about an hour, just he and I, and there was nothing going wrong in his life. Nothing. He just wanted that one-on-one interaction and then texted me about an hour after our meeting and said, thank you, coach. I really needed that. And it was like, man, it's just sometimes we all get caught up, myself obviously included, in the fact of just assuming that kids come from strong homes and he comes from a strong, loving home. Parents are divorced, but they're both active in his life and he's loved and he's healthy. He's a great student. Um, he just needed to talk, just needed to talk. And that was before all of this. 
So I think it's a great reminder for me of just, man, just because I'm handling this pandemic one way and I view it in a certain way, which may not be popular to certain other people, um, it doesn't mean that all of our coaches or all of our players are handling it the same way. And we shouldn't expect them to because the way I view it is not right or wrong. It's just my perception of it. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. I think um, you, you often, those are the kids in school that often get overlooked. Yeah. You know, as a teacher, you know, we have a whole behavioral performance system in place and, um, you know, we, we really end up spending a lot of time on those kids, uh, that need it. And so then you got 95 percenters that are doing everything the right way all the time. And they're looking around going, well, how come I'm not getting the reward, you know? And then you're like, that's a great point. So now we got to try to revamp our thought process because you spend so much time, as you know, in class dealing with, you teach fourth grade, right coach? Correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you deal with the two or three that are ding dongs, you know, and then everyone else is, is doing a really great job. So, um, I, I think your message is, is spot on. And the fact that as, as coaches and, and really employers, I mean, this can fall into those people as well. It can fall into parents. You just, because someone looks like they're doing well, doesn't mean they are. Exactly. And, and I think that's that, you know, I guess that takes me right into where I wanted to go next with you in, in terms of lessons you've learned or lessons uh, you hope players have learned um, or your staff have learned during this, you know, really three month period that's really changed everything. I think for, for, for me, one of the greatest lessons I'm still learning is, and I was thinking about that this morning, what's essential in my life? You know, the government and each each governor and each mayor is telling us what's essential in their eyes, and and I'm I'm probably one of the least political people you ever meet. You know, I I don't really, you know, categorize myself as as one party or the other. Although I do like to party, um, but uh, what, what's essential to me? And I've realized that you know my family is essential to me. I need I need my family. Exercise is essential to me, and it's not just because I. I want it physically, I need to, to be moving. I need to be lifting weights. I need to be doing the, the, the cardio as much. I'm still not a fan. Um, my faith is essential to me, you know, and, and there are certain things that I think we as a society need to find out what's essential for us and how strongly do we believe in that and how much are we willing to fight for it? Football is essential for me. You know, and, and it's not because of Friday nights. It's because of meetings in players' homes. It's because of meetings, you know, in my coach's office. It's because I've spoken at a young man's funeral before. I've had to coach against my son before. I've, you know, and when I say I, I, I know we all have. We, we've all had situations like that where we as coaches realize, um, and, and I don't want to get a soapbox here. I, I love. I've taught elementary school for twenty five years, and loved ninety nine percent of the, the the women that usually are in elementary school. Uh, I've taught with one of my biggest pet peeves is when. I'm leaving school on a Friday and they say, good luck. You know, or after on a Monday we lose a game. They're like, oh, well, it's just a game. I hate when I hear someone say it's just a game. Mm. Yes, yes, it is a game, but it, it'll never be just a game to me because Amen. of all the things that we pour into it. Um, and, you know, we, we pray about players with our wives and we, they, they are so much a part of, of our day in and day out struggles and successes and everything in between. Um, so I think one of the greatest lessons I'm learning during this, this whole time is that we have to establish for ourselves what's essential and, and make it happen, make it happen. And if we think football is essential, not just sit around and wait, but be involved in discussions, 
in our state and, and, you know, reach out to, I think it's really easy for us to just sit back and wait and say, all right, well, what's the government going to say? But are we attending those Zoom meetings with coaches? Um, we, we've had two now in San Diego with, uh, there should have been 77 head coaches on these Zoom calls. And the first time they were about 65, the second one, they were about 47. Where are the other coaches? You know, and obviously I'm not going to call out programs. It's not my place, you know. Uh, but I, th- I think we need to do our part in fighting for what we believe is essential um, and not assume that what is essential to us is essential to other people. Well, I don't know if you, you heard the news. You probably didn't. But uh, Iowa is actually going to be one of the first states back to uh, uh, playing uh, interscholastic uh, you know, sports. We play summer baseball here and softball. And uh, they made the call starting on uh, June 1st that, uh, you know, they can start practicing. And and I think we're the only state in the nation that has summer baseball. So um, but they they are not allowing uh, non-summer sports, any activities until July 1st. So it's kind of I think they're going to wait and see how it plays. But one I read an article today which talked about, uh, you know, this is a time, excuse me, to be respectful of those people who um, may choose to sit out and, and not and not play. Let's not judge those people, you know, who are choosing, you know, it's not a, a situation uh, they want, you know, to risk. Maybe they have uh, an extended family member who lives uh, in their home that would be considered a vulnerable person to, you know, COVID-19. And they don't want to bring that home to them. So, you know, let's not rush to judgment, uh, you know, or or judge people who are choosing to go out and play kind of deal. And I thought that was some, a message that, you know, really needed to to be said, you know, here in our state. But, uh, you know, you talked about the lessons that you hope to learn. But does that message change for what you hope your players are learning, though, coach, during this time? You know, I, I don't. I, first of all, I, I can't control what they're learning. I can, I can put my feelings and my thoughts out there. Um, but I, I think what we have to, and you hit the nail on the head, Coach Mathis, we have to respect other people's feelings, other people's opinions. And that's not being, oh, let's be all PC, you know, PC about it. But I, uh, I might lose some followers with this next statement, but I'm going to say it anyways. I, I, I go crazy when I'm driving down the highway and I see someone in their car or truck with their windows up by themselves with a mask on. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? Just uh, drives me insane. And my wife, well, the one, she's the one that brings me back down, back down to earth. And she's like, maybe, maybe they have an immune deficiency. Maybe they have like, well, no, they don't. They're just, they're, they're just I'm right idiots. there with you, brother. It drives me crazy. But, and, and I'm not proud of it, as much as it drives me crazy, I, I, just as much as I don't want them, although I'm not going to lose sleep over it, I don't want them judging me for not wearing a mask. Shame on me for judging them for wearing one. You know, yeah. um, so as far, as far as my players, uh, I have to be sensitive to that, you know, and, and when we do get back together, I, I thought about this again this morning before I was dying too much on my, on my hike or walk. Um, when we're back in our team room and I look around and we're missing a stud, I have to make sure that I don't, and I wouldn't anyways, but not let any of my coaches say anything derogatory behind closed doors or in front of our players, because if that might hurt our chances of winning a game, if that young man or his family don't feel safe coming back, then shame on us if we don't respect that and still love him as a player or not, just love him as a, as a person and let him know that the door is always open if he chooses that now is not the time to come back. Well, Coach, that is, um, that's what I would call a strong ego. 
Um, and, and quite honestly, uh, I, I can't take credit for that term. I don't know if you know Tim Kite at all, Focus yeah. 3 Podcast. I heard him talking with Urban Meyer about that, and they were talking about humility. And um, I've, I've shared this on other podcasts, but yeah, I just absolutely love the term strong ego because it, it comes down to humility. Uh, mm-hmm. Big ego is a guy that's, that's calling out um, you know, the kid that's not going to help them win because it's all about the Ws. The strong ego is like – this is a much bigger picture than what we have right now. And, and, and so I commend you for that. And, and, and it's a lesson that I think, you know, macho machismo coaches get into is, Hey, we got to get the W got to have all the best athletes out. And if, if this guy's, you know, wimping out, uh, man, this is going to make us look bad on Friday nights. And to your point, it takes a strong egoed coach to say time out. <laughs> let's, let's not, let's evaluate the situation. Exactly. And, and I know what I'm about to say will resonate with, I think, with the, the two of you and hopefully a few others, but really makes a lot of other people just roll their eyes at me. I think it goes back to how we define winning. I, I consider myself one of the winningest coaches out there, and I've lost more games than probably most. It's just win, winning is if you have a young man that's suicidal, but he knows you love him enough to come talk to you. Oh. Or young man that's coming out of the closet or gets a girl pregnant or mm. whatever the struggle is they're facing, in my opinion. Um, I, have said this before and I get a kick out of it cause I know where, where I'm going with it. But when I speak in front of live audiences sometimes, um, or live clinics, not audiences, I often say, you know, you're, you're not going to find a more successful coach out there than me. And you can see some coaches kind of fold their arms like, or who's this arrogant SOB, you know, it, but it goes back to how I define winning. You know, if, if my definition of winning is just what society sees on that scoreboard, then no, I, I, I I'm not a good coach at all. Now I've won, not I, we have won some division conference and state championships. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, there's a lot more coaches out there that know a lot more about X's nose, thousands of them than I do, and have more rings than I have. But my definition, definition of success is, so, and I love the competition, I love everything about the game, everything about the game, but it goes well beyond just X's nose and well beyond just the scoreboard. Yes, I want to win. Yes, I hate losing. But I've had some seasons as a head coach and as an assistant where we've been a 500 season, but it's one of been one of the greatest coaching experiences in my life because I've seen young men and young women have their lives turn around or know that they've been supported and not alone. You know, Coach, one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is, um, you know, just like what you you mentioned there is the perception out there. That just because we care about someone as a, a human being, yeah, you know, our student athletes that we care less about winning. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't like we just want to go out and you know, instead of, you know, we'll just say, Hey, I'll grab my guitar here, we'll go out by the campfire and we'll sing kumbaya and we'll roast some marshmallows or something like that. But you know, we don't really want to put in the work or we don't wanna uh you know, we don't want to go out there and compete at a very high level and, and put our kids in an in a opportunity to be successful kind of deal. And, you know, to me, that's just a, an asinine yes. thought. I mean, but there are, I mean, I think exactly what you said, though, is if you, you know, value someone and, and care about their opinion and, and, you know, tell them and show them that you love them as a, as a person and not just as your football player or whatever the athlete or sport may be, that, uh, you know, you care less about those other things. I, I could not agree with everything you said there more. Um, well, it's, it's once again, and we've all, I've, I've been so blessed over the years to coach with coaches who, in my opinion, get it. 
They have a passion for the game. You have to know, we have to know our craft, you know, and, you know, as much as I, I, we care about the people more than the player, we care more about the, you know, the, the, them as human beings, not pawns. We have to win games. You, in order to keep your job at a certain level, whether it's Pop Warner all the way through the NFL, you have to have success in the world size as well. But, you know, I, I don't think, you know, being blessed to coach for 23 years now, and hopefully I'll coach until the day I die, um, I, I want to re- be remembered as a coach that as passionate as I am about the game, I'm more passionate about the people, you know, because, you know, all those, those championship rings and trophies, they're great, but they're going to tarnish over the years, and the hearts you touch and the lives you change won't, and that, that effect will continue to go on forever. Well, coach, I'm reminded of, you know, Colossians 3.23, you know, whatever you're doing, work out as if, you know, for the Lord, not for man. And, you know, that's a really strong verse. And, but I think it, it, it seems like that verse would, would be the most clear way to define you, um, in, in terms of what you're looking to do. You're working for a bigger purpose. Um, and winning isn't the W it's the hearts and minds of, of the people you're around. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I, I yeah, that means a lot. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of those things where once again I've been on a staff before where I was standing next to two coaches. I'll be careful not to to rat out the the program that it was, but they had were having a discussion about you know they hate losing seasons because you can't build character in those losing seasons. And I remember looking at them. I'm like, I said, I said some of the best years I've ever had when I, when I was a head coach back in New Hampshire, um, and I still to this day after 23 years now, my greatest year as a head coach was my first year as a head coach, and we lost every game. We got our teeth kicked in every game. The reason I look back now and say it was the greatest year to date was because it was the hardest year. It really made me solidify, and I mean this with all respect and sincerity, it's easy in comparison, in my opinion, to be an assistant coach compared to a head coach. Doesn't, doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's, you don't love the players just as much. Doesn't mean you're not as talented as a coach or as gifted or as smart or as dedicated, but... As a head coach, you deal with the boosters, fundraising, administration, colleges, everything under the sun. So that first year for me as a head coach, it made me really reevaluate how bad do I want this? Why do I want to be a head coach? Not, I hate to use the word just, but just, using air quotes, just an assistant. Um, and for me, it was because I wanted to be able to have the power to surround myself with other men or women other coaches that have the same mission as I have to win games and win hearts, not one or the other. You know, I want to be a dominant football program and a dominant presence in someone's someone's dominant presence in someone's life to to help them be better people. You know, one of the greatest things that I, I think we can do. Sorry, one of the greatest things I think we can do is love our players enough to be honest with them. You know, and I know I, I didn't do that my first few years as a coach. I thought I loved my players, but I let some players get away with things because they were good. Or I let them use some language sometimes or badmouth another coach because I thought it was funny or cool. And I look back now, I'm like, man, how immature was that? How horrible was that? You know, but, but that's all part of the learning process for each of us as teachers, as husbands, as fathers, as coaches to realize that what I thought was acceptable at one point really was just the beginning at the tip, tip of the iceberg of where I needed to be as a coach. Well, Urban Meyer says, uh, you know, I, I heard him say that uh, the best way a coach can show a player that he loves them is says, hey, I see you here as a, as a player 
and I need to get you here. So how are we going to do that? And yeah. said, that's the best way I, I think, you know, I can, I can show you love. Um, now, you know, what you said, it really hits home with me, coach, because, you know, coach level and myself have both been on, you know, some, some perfect seasons, not the perfect that you want, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, those zero and nine seasons, um, you know, but, you know, I, I can't agree with you more in those, those times when you're going through those struggles is when you have the most opportunity for growth. And, you know, and I don't know if, if you have one of these, but, you know, my most memorable game so far as a head coach has been a game that we've lost. And, and the reason that was is because, you know, the program where I was at prior to taking the Nottaway Valley job was, uh, you know, they've either won games big or, uh, you know, they, they've lost big kind of deal. And they've had almost 30 consecutive seasons of losing seasons. So, you know, they don't, uh, they struggle with the concept of, you know, trying to, you know, build that positive culture and, and just in the sense of just because they, they just consistently lose kind of deal. And, uh, but one of the games while we were there were, we had uh, a two point loss and we were up with 30 seconds to go. And, uh, but, you know, I'll set the stage for you on it a little bit is, you know, prior we get to the game, one of our better players uh, came to me and says, I just don't feel good coach. I don't think I'll be able to play. And I'm like, like literally (laughs) like we're, we're walking, we're walking to the the field and he's in street clothes. And then he goes, I also forgot my Jersey. And I'm like, well, if, you know, if, if you can't, if you can't go, if you're not going to play at your highest level, then, you know, I don't want you out there and and take a chance of, uh, you know, getting someone hurt or getting yourself hurt or anything like that. And, um, and I said, I'll leave it up to you. And so, uh, finally, uh, you know, his, his mom shows up with his Jersey. So he's got his Jersey. And I just, I said, so what's your decision? kind of deal. And he decides, well, I'll guess I'll give it a, give it a try kind of deal. And I'm like, well, there's, you know, no, no try. You're going to do it or you're not going right. to kind of deal. And, and so he did it and he played, but then, you know, there were so many other adversity things that we, we happened during that game. It was the first, first game that we were as a staff, we were using huddle sideline. And I don't know if you've used huddle sideline, but we had some technical difficulties in the middle of the game and coaches are trying to like, literally have coaches on tech support with huddle sideline trying to figure out what's going on with it and then uh towards uh start of the third quarter our starting quarterback uh ends up uh you know tearing his uh mcl and he gets taken off on a stretcher so we had to take our our wing back who was our quarterback early in the season and move him back to that position and we shuffled some some players around and but when we uh, it was fourth down, fourth and like four. We run a play that goes for like a 30-yard touchdown to take the lead, to go up, uh, you know, to, to take that winning score. And I mean, and to look, and I get goosebumps talking about it because uh, to see our sideline react. And, and in that moment, we were champions. You know, we were champions in our minds in that moment. And our, and our sideline was going crazy. Ugh. And we were – uh, you know, this was a team that has a tremendous amount of history that we were playing and competitive and, you know, should have probably beat us by a lot more points than what we had kept that that game in at that point. Uh, so then, you know, we got 30 seconds left and they have a good quarterback. And I was like, well, the and, and here's the other uh, adversity that we faced the game before for that. Uh, uh, like on the second to last play, our quarterback. 
or excuse me, our kicker and running back and defensive back uh, broke his hand. So we were oh. down him. And so we didn't, we had a freshman that was kicking. And so we were like, Hey, okay, kickoff time. Let's kick off. We kick off the ball. It's like, well, the worst thing that can happen is a, a long return. So what, what happens? <laughs> I have a long return that gives them a short field to work with and they end up scoring the touchdown. And uh, my message though, to the, the player who actually ended up scoring our, the go ahead touchdown was the player who ended up giving up the touchdown uh, to oh, wow. this kid. And afterwards to see his face, I mean, you could just tell that he was internalizing that moment for himself. And like, he let the team down and he let, um, you know, the whole community down with is the way it, it looked like on his face. And my message to him afterwards was, this play does not define you as a person, as a player. You're going to have way more plays in front of your career uh, that will uh, far outshine find, outshine this moment. And fast forward the very next year, he ended up breaking our individual school rushing record for a game. He, awesome. he ran like for you know, almost uh, 370 yards in a game. So, I mean – uh, to me, I, you know, I feel like, you know, he lived in that moment in the sense of, yes, it was painful at that time, but he flushed it and hopefully is, you know, forgot about it. And he's going to have a lot more moments like that, I think, in front of him. That's awesome. And you know this, Coach. I get chills hearing that story because how many young men in, the, in his situation would that have been the last game because the coach would have berated them, embarrassed them, made them feel smaller than, than, than dirt? And they would have walked away from the game because they were just humiliated. So, so I, I love that you were still able to pour into him and, and you know, be that person he needed. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was truly special. And I, I mean, it's crazy that to me, like one of my most memorable games is a game that we've lost. But I think it's yeah. there's so many lessons from that one game. So yeah, absolutely. All right, we're back from our break with uh, Coach Kurt Hines. Uh, you, you know, the, the topic we've been talking about today, Coach, is perspective driving performance. And, and, and I heard a really cool thing from Tim Kite when he said that uh, genetics form you, circumstances influence you, much like we're in, and, and then choices define you. And I really love that definition. And, and, and so, you know, we talked about uh, a little bit earlier about how sometimes it's hard for kids to make that choice. But, but for those kids that, and coaches, quite honestly, and people in general that have the opportunity to make choices, you know, how does that, how can that define you um, in terms of what we're dealing with right now? I, I love that question. I love that you mentioned also how perspective, you know, uh, how did you say perspective, perspective drives performance drives performance uh, it's similar although i like that saying better you know in our weight room and in my coach's office uh we we always talk about how competition breeds success mm. um and i i think perspective driving performance is huge you know i i love my brother i'm the middle child of a, a older brother and a younger sister uh my brother who i don't think listens to my podcast so uh hopefully he won't listen to this one I love him, but we're just different people. He, he uh, sometimes, in my opinion, takes on a, uh, a victim mentality in life. And he's a hard worker. He's, he's a, a great husband and a father, takes care of his family. But uh, as, as players, as coaches, I think that's one of the biggest things, whether we're in the middle of this challenge that we as a nation or a world are in right now, um, our, our perspective of how we see our role in everyday life, how we see our role in our programs and our families, 
really not just shows our character, but I think we all need to understand the, the power that our perspective has in not only our performance, but everyone around us. You know, uh, I, I remember hearing a, a sermon years ago, uh, and it was coming coming from a pastor talking about the perspective and power of, of a father, a husband, and really changed my, my drive from that moment I heard it to this very day of whatever's on my heart or mind driving home, whether that's a 15-minute drive or an hour, of having those last five minutes thinking about the energy we want to bring into that house, you know, not knowing either um, if that day, especially when our kids were younger, was a day of laughter and joy and, and power you know, in, in a good way, or if it was just filled with stress and anxiety and, and contention, whatever. Um, as coaches, I think we need to understand that when we do get back together with our teams, every one of those players, whether we have 20 players in our program or 120, Every one of those players and coaches, um, are, we're all coming from the exact same circumstances, but depending on how we are viewing those and our perspective are going to come out of this all different, you know, and, and I don't think any of us are going to come out of this the same person. I think we're going to come out of it stronger or more anxious or more depressed or whatever it is. And I don't think that's a better or worse situation. I, I don't, you know, because I'm an optimist to the core, I'm an eternal optimist. And I, I've been fault, I've, I've been accused of uh, being naive because of that, although it hasn't, you know, stirred me wrong yet. Um, I, I'm challenging myself through this to, to come out a stronger and better human being, coach, husband, father, grandfather. Not everyone is. So I, I think we need to uh, realize that just because I'm attacking this differently than someone else, it doesn't make their approach any less valid or um, or mine any more valid. I, I, I think we need to understand that uh, th there's, there's more than one way to win a football game. There's more than one way to win someone's heart. And we have to respect other people's opinions and approaches, even if they're different from ours. So, Coach, what would you say, you know, I know you talked about what's essential to you is one of the things that you've learned um, through this pandemic. But what would you say are the top three takeaways having to live in a, in this pandemic world that uh, we're living in right now? If you had to give us just right off the you know top of the head here, your top three takeaways. I love it. I, I, I do sincerely love being put on the spot here for this. Uh, one is control the controllables. You know, I think it's easy as coaches to say that when, when game's going well, you know, your, your quarterback throws an interception, but you're up by 14 points. Hey, don't worry about it. Let it go. What, what if you're down and you needed that? You know, in, the, yeah. in this pandemic here, once again, it's important, as I mentioned earlier, or I believe it's important. I shouldn't say it's important. I feel it's important for us to define our own essentials. But there are certain things we can't control. And I, I find myself getting really upset sometimes when I drive by a beach that I can't park at. I can go to the beach. I can walk and work out, but I can't sit down yet. And this just doesn't make sense to me. It's just it's ridiculous, in my opinion. But I can piss and moan about it, or I can control the controllables. I can hike where I'm allowed to hike. I can go and do activities where, I, where I'm allowed to. Um, so I think one would be control the controllables. Another lesson learned, I, I think, would be to uh, show you love people when it's not convenient, when it's not easy. And, and I think uh, I'm great. You know, I'll put myself up there. I'm great at showing I, I, I love my, my wife, my family, my players when I'm around them. Tell them all the time I love them, and I, and I try to show it with my actions. But when, what, what am I doing when I can't be with them? 
Am I going out of my way to make that effort to reach out to them? So showing you your players and your coaches you love them when it's, it's not always convenient or easy. Um, and I, I think the third thing for me, and uh, as I'm thinking this right now, I, I wouldn't normally say this, I don't think, but uh, be patient with yourself. You know, tr- trust the process. You know, I, I got mad at myself for being in a, for lack of better words, not clinically, but depressed state. For about a week or so, I was really, I was waking up angry, I was going to bed angry, and that's not me. That, that's just not who I am by nature. But being patient with myself and realizing that even some of the, you know, the strongest people, I'm not calling myself one of the strongest, but I, am a, I know I'm a strong person mentally and spiritually, even, even all of us have down moments. You know, and, and not beat yourself up for that. Realize that even those that look up to us for strength, even the people that we look up to are going to have moments where they falter, they stumble. And uh, for me, without getting preachy to your audience, uh, I, I think we talk in football all the time. It's fine to fall, but fall forward, land on your feet and keep going. You know, for me, I, I had a, a thought of a few weeks ago about, hey, when I fall down, I don't want to get to my feet right away. Let me take some time, spend time on my knees. In prayer, and then you know, rise stronger than than before. So, I guess those would be the three takeaways for me. Well, that's so really far. that's really powerful, Coach. I I appreciate you not to put you on the spot there, but uh, I appreciate uh, your candor. I I love the question, so thank you. Well, I think I think in relation to this, in terms of you as a leader, um, you know, I, I've heard the term that indecisiveness creates instability. And, um, I think, I think the one thing that you're learning is that you're, you're, you're learning how to make decisions about what's appropriate for you. Um, but not necessarily for everybody else. Uh, but then applying those decisions on a daily basis creates discipline. And, and then I, I really love the thought that discipline creates toughness and breeds toughness. Um, and so, you know, using those together, you know, when you get your, your team back together, how can you kind of drive those concepts with everybody to make sure that, hey, look, listen, everyone's decisions were different during this time, but the decisions you made are vital to where we are now and how we move forward? Yeah, I, I think one of the best things we can do is, is as cliche as this may sound, is, is just live out our beliefs. Because in a, in a, in a perfect world, we, should, we know there's no such thing. When we get back in together in that team room, we're going to talk chalk talk, have everyone there focused. And I realize that not everyone's going to be there. There are going to be a lot of players and some coaches there physically in the room who are mentally are still concerned about a father or a mother that lost their job, how they're going to recover from that, or a, a, someone that's possibly passed away, or their anxieties. Maybe they're coming from a household where mom and dad think this is all a joke and politically driven and nonsense, and, and I'm somewhere in between all of that. Um, but maybe that individual, that young man or young woman, is really anxious about this. So I think more than anything else, in addition to speaking words of empowerment and saying I love you to the players, really showing it. You know, when, 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 the, when the kid shows up completely out of shape that we thought was going to be one of our studs, not making some crack joke about it and thinking it's just funny, but really being there for them. And and I don't for, I don't remember Coach Level if it was you or Coach Mathis, but going back to what one of the two of you said about loving your players enough, you know where they are, but loving them so much that you're not going to allow them to say where they are, you know. And and I think that's a powerful thing, you know. I love you for who you are, and because I love you, let's get you to where you can be. Yeah, I, th- I think there's power in that. 
Well, going going into that is you you talk about choices define you, and and when it comes down to deciding whether or not they're going to be a part of your program, they make that choice and they show up. That's a powerful decision. That's the first step. So now, um, like like Coach Mathis alluded to, Urban Meyer, let's get you from here to there to where you want to be. And, and so the the choiceness or the choice, excuse me, is a tough decision perhaps for that kid to have the discipline to show up. But now that he's here, okay, dude, let's get to work. Yeah. And I think one of the things we can do at the very beginning of this process, I reached out to one of our linemen who uh, just, he, he's had a few concussions and uh, going into his senior year decided he's not going to play. And that hurts us. That hurts us bad because of his character, because he's such a great kid, because of his coachability. He has all the intangibles and he's a good, not great, but a very good football player. Uh, one of my assistant coaches reached out to him, let him know that he wasn't. And then the player texted me. And it didn't sit well with me that it was through a text. Um, and I wasn't judging him, but I called him and he started by apologizing. I said, no, no, don't apologize. I said, listen, I, I said, I am full of crap if I try to talk you back into playing. I said, everything I put out there in social media, everything I say to your parents, everything is a load of just BS if I try to convince you to come back out and play. I said, we're better with you, but I love you too much to try to talk you into this. And what I did to what I said to him was, the door's always open. And I didn't want to leave that as, hey, I'm planting a seed if you want to come back. I said, the door is always open. And if you want to come back and film for us or be a, a manager or whatever, whatever capacity, and you could just hear his collective breath just leave his body to know that, you know, I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't angry. You know, he's not screwing us over. And I do love him as a person more than just as a player. Um, so I, I think, you know, when we do get back together, however that looks, however it unfolds, you know, here in California, in Southern California, we're still trying to def wait for the government, you know, we're, we're giving our input, but trying to find out what our season's going to look like. Will there be fans? Because they're talking about possibly not having fans in the stands. Um, will the season be shortened? Will playoffs be different? You know, all these different things that infuriate me as a coach, because I'm like, why wouldn't there be fans? How are we going to stop that? And all these different things. But once again, trying to control the controllables and through it all, respecting, first and foremost, our players and their families' feelings and opinions. And, and some people would call that soft. You know, and I, I just call it being caring. I, I, I'm 100% on board with you, Coach. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, we can what if, you know, this situation, you know, to the end of time kind of deal. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, makes me wonder is, you know, especially since our state is kind of going to be the canary in the coal mine for athletics for the nation here uh, with summer baseball and softball going on is what if there is a situation where uh, an umpire or um, even, you know, player, coach, wh whatever it may be that, uh, you know, test positive for, you know, COVID after the fact or, or has a fever and do those teams both get quarantined? I mean, kind of deal. I mean, and, you know, those are the things that kind of run through your mind as, as you know, someone that's in charge of a program. But, you know, I think ultimately is you got to kind of set those aside, even though that you may, uh, you know, be concerned of, of what our season may look like and just say, you know, once that pops up, then I'll worry about it. And all I can do is is do what uh, the guidelines suggest and then and then we'll just charge forward kind of deal. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think most stress comes, or at least in my life, most stress for me comes from things in the past that I can't change or things in the future that usually never even happen. 
<laughs> so I, I think we have to be prepared and be realistic. But at the same time, one of the most powerful lessons that I'm still learning now at 27, I'm just kidding, <laughs> 48, um, <laughs> but uh, is, is the power of being where your feet are. Mm. You know, and, and it, it, there's so for me, like right now in this moment, my four kids are healthy, my grandkids are healthy, my wife's right over here at the you know the other edge of the living room here, and life is perfect. You know, and, and if I if I think too much down the road, um, just that that's when you lose the beauty and the power of now. And as cliche as it sounds, we're not promised tomorrow, right? You know? So it's I so, agree with you. So has this? I mean, has this pandemic changed your perspective? on anything i mean have you have you personally has it allowed you to for growth or anything besides you know thinking of you know what's essential to you i mean maybe it's too early to look back and be uh, on, on this because we're still in it kind of deal but do you feel i know you said we'll get stronger because of this yeah i think the only thing that's really changed me so far is for the first time in in my entire adult life um i have strong physical attraction to a coworker because uh, both my wife and I are working from home. Yes. So, <laughs> no. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it really has changed me too much. And in all, in all seriousness, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. You know, um, there are certain reflections I've done through a lot of prayer, just out of soul searching. Um, part of me right here and right now in this moment thinks that's a good thing, that it's kind of solidified who I believe I am. But, but as you mentioned, Coach Mathis, time will tell. You know, I, I think it's uh, similar to 9-11 in that when it happened, the entire country changed. There are American flags in every street, every house, on cars and trucks. It was beautiful. And then that kind of faded away a little bit, you know. So I, I think through this or anything, I think it's a powerful thing that whenever we face a challenge, whether it be a global pandemic or a personal challenge, if we – let the change that's positive be lasting change. You know, I, I, time will tell. Yeah. I agree 100% with you on, on everything you said there, coach. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we're talking about perspective driving performance. I think you've just hit some really key points today and, um, you know, focusing on what is essential, your faith, your exercise, your, uh, your family and football, and, and then you're really deciding who you are, uh, with and without football, that's a reflection that uh, I've had to do. And, um, you know, I, my word that I've really had since the beginning of the year is the John, John Gordon, one word is peace. And I, I, I've really found that um, through many different channels. Um, I would say that, you know, spending time with my family and spending time with my faith um, and honing in on the things that I find to be important have have really strengthened me as a person and give me given me clarity on how I'm going to act. Um, I, again, I'm a human. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to I'm not going to claim I'm going to be out there and, and, and be the best person uh, of all time. I'm certainly no John Wooden or Billy Graham. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like the things that I've come to grips with and the stuff that we have talked today in terms of perspective have really helped clarify who I am and, and what I stand for. And coaching is a part of me. I, 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 I don't know if I can distance myself from that, but the way I coach is going to be much different in what I interpret. And, and hopefully what I give off is, is much, much peace, much more peaceful, I guess. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I think also, uh, and I misquoted this gentleman just the other day, but uh, Wayne Dyer, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, 
uh, old school author. I, I, I need to, when we hop off this podcast, find out that he's still alive. I don't know if he's 80, 90, whatever. But uh, he had written about ego one time. And I don't know if, I, if you guys had heard this or if I mentioned this. Uh, once again, I got this from him. But whenever I heard the word ego, I always thought about just that cocky, arrogant coach or, or a player or, or person. And he said it's, you know, anytime we EGO, edge got out. And for me, that was a paradigm shift, you know, and coach level, when you say, you know, you're not this gentleman or that person, um, that's one thing I've tried, I'm trying to work on myself is so often when I'm asked to speak at different events or whatever it is, um, and I'm do I'm getting better at it, but I would say to myself, well, I'm not this dude. I'm not, I don't have that story. I didn't play in the NFL. I, I didn't overcome some huge life altering thing. And I realized for me, that's edging God out. You know, if someone, if someone has placed you in a path of sharing your passion, we just need to run with it. We, we need to, mm. you know, be, be that guy that, hey, we didn't know they were throwing the ball off at that point. I just picked it off and go with it and not sit there and second guess it. Um, I, I think Love that's that. a powerful thing. Uh, and, and I'll share very quickly. When we, when we started this whole mobile learning, which our school called it, as you mentioned, I teach fourth grade. I decided, uh, and fortunately, I had support from my principal. Um, that on Fridays I was going to not assign any work to them. And I asked the families through a very detailed email. I said, just spend one hour with your child. Just one hour, uninterrupted, no cell phones, no technology. Just spend one hour. I don't care if it's hiking, biking, laying in bed, talking to them, doing a puzzle. And I said, all I'm going to ask the child to do is to write a paragraph afterwards about what they did with you. And uh, I was blown away by the feedback from parents because – I think a lot of parents, especially with younger children, felt more stressed during this than ever. You know, our house was fantastic during this because our kids are all 22 and older. You know, we're not having to get 50 emails a day from schools and parents and try to figure all that out. Um, and I think that the time with families, for me, became so essential, not just with my own family, but trying to, without telling someone else how to live their lives, trying to empower them and saying, hey, listen, our kids more than ever are going to come out of this pandemic as a reflection of how we view this time with them. You know, and if every day is stressful, they're going to look at their own lives and be like, hey, am I adding to that stress of my parent? Am I making this tougher for them? Or are we really embracing that time with them and and looking at it that way? Yeah, I think that's powerful. That's that that's the way I've chosen to try to do this. I know Coach Mathis is the same way. We're we're leaders in our home first and foremost, and then that translates out. And you know, I love having conversations with my kids about how we're just going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. And whether or not I get COVID-19 and I pass away from it, that's, that's, you know, that's indifferent. I'm not going to live differently because of, 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 of what's going on. And not to say, you know, we're not wearing the mask or anything like that. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying, you know, my faith is going to be greater than any fear out there. And I think Amen. that's the, that's the message we want to get across to the people. Um, and so, you know, that being said, coach, uh, we're going to wrap this up and, and golly, we are, uh, I, I'm just blown away at, at the knowledge that you brought with us and the passion you brought with us and, and, and really the strong perspective on the spot. Um, just a credit to who you are. And uh, I cannot, cannot wait to follow you this fall. I, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to have faith that California is going to have football and I was going to have football and, and we're going to be able to connect again. And I don't know when we'll get you on the podcast again, because I know your schedule is super busy, but you know, twice in two months, we're, we're just so much better because of it. And uh, thank you so much. You, you guys are a blessing. I, I appreciate everything. And once again, any, any chance I have to share, uh, I am very busy, but I'm no busier than you guys, uh, you know, so, so I want to put that out there. So 
uh, it's an honor to be able to share with you guys and just to connect with you guys. So thank you. Well, if you've liked the podcast today, uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the Life Leadership and Pursuit of Greatness podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, and many other platforms. Again, thanks to Coach Kurt Hines and my co-host, Dwayne Mathis. Uh, we are closing out the LLPG studios for today. Uh, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night. Thank you.